Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Today is February 24th, 2019, and we've got some great guests. we got a lot of guests on the show this morning, actually. But we're going to talk about uh, prison voting rights, guys that were incarcerated and uh, who are out making an impact in the community. We've got Pastor Bell, who was supposed to be showing up this morning. So we've got uh, a morning filled with some action-packed excitement and interviews. You're tuned in to The Image Show on 98.3 The Vibe. My name is Robert Pate, and I'm president and founder of the Image Program. And you know, I'm going to ask that you guys from now on call me Bobby Pate. All my friends call me Bobby. So uh, Robert is my my real name, but you know, most people that are Roberts go by Bobby. So most of my friends call me Bobby. So we're Bobby Pate now from now on. So we're going to start off this morning with Ken Silver. Now, for some of you who are affiliated with the Image Program, you know that Ken Silver was the outside sponsor of the Image Program when it originated at North Central Correctional Facility in 2016. And Ken uh, will be reached this morning by phone. Uh, He uh, resides in Florida uh, during the winter months. And uh, Ken has not only been very helpful in assisting the Image Program, but he is a very educated man uh, in business, in law, and in communications. And uh, Ken is going to speak with us, with us this morning about voting rights. Uh, this is one thing that he's very skilled in and uh, has a lot of information about. And I think it's going to be helpful. I think that uh, he's going to open up a lot of ears. Ken, how's the weather out there first and foremost? Well, you probably don't really want to know. Uh, we've been <laughs> suffering through in the low 80s all day, but I did see a cloud, so wow. things aren't as good as you think they are. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're up to our ears in snow here in Des Moines. Now, Ken, I want, first of all, I'm very thankful that you're able to join us this morning, and I'm glad that you were able to take time out of your busy schedule. Now, I'm glad to do it. Now, Ken, you are... Uh, a very important man when the word image program comes up because uh, you started out as uh, the outside sponsor uh, when I was actually incarcerated. You not only deserve a big thank you from me, but I think that it's very vital and important for the people on the image show to know who you are. So could you just give us a little bit of history about uh, you and uh, your affiliation with the image program? Well, first of all, I'm an old man and retired several years ago, and that gave me a lot of uh, extra time to do some things that are very rewarding. You know, I met you, oh, probably 10 or 12 years ago uh, when I was doing volunteer work at the Polk County Jail Uh with the chaplain there. And then uh, we followed up and and, uh, worked together with the image program up at Rockwell City. And I've got a real heart for helping people overcome their past when they want to try to overcome their past. And uh, the image program offered such a great opportunity. Uh, It was faith-based and still is, but it also kind of directed the people in the right direction. It wasn't that anybody was mollycoddled. You know, they were told the facts of life and, you know, let's get back on the street and and, uh, get back home and take our responsibility as fathers and leaders in the community and, and start doing right. So... Uh, you know, things just blossomed out of that, and, and uh, the image program still continuing to this day. 
Great. And now, Ken, uh, one of the uh, also very important aspects that I don't want to leave out, uh, not only that it's Sunday morning and a lot of people are probably uh, going to church, but you also uh, have been a role model and a very, very encouraging uh, Christian leader in my life. And uh, I thank you for that. Uh, You have been a man who not only talks the talk, but you walk the walk and uh, you've kept me on the straight and narrow. And uh, I, I just, I, I really commend you for that. And I'm out here in the community now trying to uh, duplicate uh, the same thing that you kind of started and instilled in me. And it looks like we're having a lot of success. So, uh, you know, I want to tell you, thank you for that. Well, you give me way too much credit. You know, I'm just an innocent bystander watching what God does in people's lives. <laughs> okay. Now, moving to voting rights. I want uh, your take on this. As you know, I was on uh, a lot of different uh, television stations talking about voting rights, and uh, they wanted to know uh, my perspective from being an ex-offender. And I know you got a chance to see a lot of the news clippings. I want to know, I guess, uh, Des Moines, Iowa wants to know, and everyone listening, what is your take on it? Well, first of all, I was very disappointed after your <coughs> broadcast that the uh, more of the legislators didn't get on the bandwagon to help do away with this. You know, I'm almost embarrassed to say that I'm from Iowa when I find out that they're one of just a handful of states that's still backward enough to bar felons from voting. And almost every other state, including Florida, where I'm living now, have restored voters' rights to the felons after they've been released from prison and after they're off parole. I just don't see any real reason why we want to continue to prosecute someone after they've served their sentence. It, It has no benefit. Let them have it, Ken. I I love hearing this, man, and and everyone needs to hear this. I'm just going to let you continue on. Well, just stop and think a minute. Sex offenders and felons are the ones that end up with a life sentence. There may be some justification for tracking sex offenders to ensure that uh, the public is safe and small children are safe and so on. But there's no justification for taking voting rights away from felons. And when you stop and look at it, It just causes a vicious circle. And I wish everyone would just stop and put themselves in the place of someone coming out of prison. Because most of the time, you walk out that gate, you have no money, you probably have very few clothes, you have no driver's license, you have no transportation, you've got a ten or $15,000 debt for various things, and no real job skills. And they take you down to Des Moines and dump you off or Cedar Rapids or wherever and say, okay, happy happy release, let's see you be a real success. Well, what chance do you have? Right. Who's going to hire a felon except flipping burgers for $8 an hour? How do you get to work? How do you get to your other appointments? Oh, by the way, uh, I did get a job, but I've got to take off every afternoon on Friday to go see my PO. Well, you know? and, and then they give you this big old list of rules that you have to abide by, and if you break one of them, they can throw you back in jail. Yeah, well, it's funny you said that. You know, last year in Iowa, 3,100 people were returned to prison, okay? That's on top of almost 6,000 new people that went in there. So, you know, we just put 6,000 people in prison last year. 1,900 of them were felons. These are new felons. Then on top of that, 
we throw in 3,000 people that are being returned to prison. It's just like a, a vicious cycle where we're trying to uh, pump water back into the bathtub at the same time we're draining it. Amazing. And we're never going to get ahead. So, you know, we've got to make, we've got to do something different. We've got to make it easier for people to make a decent living once they're released. And the first step in that is allow them to get a decent job. You know, take away that box on the applications that asks whether you've got a felony conviction or not. What are you going to do? You fill it out and you say, yes, I've got a felony conviction. They say, sorry, I can't hire you. You put down, no, I don't have a felony conviction. Six months later, they find out that you do, so they fire you. You Supposedly, there's not supposed to be a ban against hiring a felon unless it affects the job they're applying for. But how in the world do you enforce that? It's crazy. It really is, Ken. We need to get that box off. There's many of the states have already come up with ban the box. You can't even put, you can't even ask that on an application. Again, Iowa still thinks that's something that they need. So, you know, in my point of view, we do about everything we can to help someone fail when they get out of prison. (laughs) And we're very good at that. And we we prove it by the fact that we're sending 30% of them back every year. Uh, Now, let me also remind you of of one thing that relates to this is that they said 90 percent. I think there's a high 90 percent rate of the people that are coming out of prison return back to prison. Or or no, no, no. Wait, let me let me take that back. Ninety percent of the people that are in prison are getting out, which means. When these prosecutors are uh, stacking up the the charges and and you know giving out these long term sentences, the taxpayers aren't realizing. I don't think that these people are coming back out, and then you have to deal with the problem now. They, oh, they, they, you're they, so right. They looked at the solution uh, in their eyes for. Uh, what the criminal has done or, you know, what the person has done or has, the mistake that they've made. They focused on that uh, to a T to the point that they overlooked the fact that, hey, what are we going to do when this guy gets out? What about the problem that's occurring and it's stacking and stacking and stacking up to the point to where now it's uh, becoming catastrophic, would you say? Exactly right. I mean, we take people so they've committed a crime. And I'm, you know, I'm tough. I'm really tough on crime. I think, uh, you know, from the time I raised my kids, the time I was growing up, if you do something wrong, you're going to have to pay for it. But it ought to be equal to what the crime is. You can't send somebody to prison for 10 years because they were jaywalking across Grand Avenue. (laughs) And so that's exactly what we've been doing recently. Yeah, it's ridiculous. We prosecute somebody... For some minor crime, we go through the court system, we pay the county attorney and all these people to prosecute them, we put them in uh, county jail for a while, and then maybe we send them to prison for a couple months, and then they get out. And, and what have we done? Nothing except mess up their lives. They lost a job, maybe lost their families. Uh, we didn't do anything to help them. We didn't do anything to reform them. I agree. I agree. And, you know, it's, it's so sad that... This is reality that's actually taking place right before our eyes. And I think a lot of people are are just now kind of starting to wake up because, you know, people are starting to to talk about it. They're starting to step out and talk about it. You know, you have people right now listening to this show who I'm sure lights coming on like, oh, wow. You know, this is something that I've never thought about. 
Well, let me tell you about one of the lucky ones, okay? A friend of mine was in prison for 10 years. Felony. Gets out. Still had problems with drugs. He went through drug treatment for a year. Got out. Got a job scrubbing floors at a fast food restaurant for minimum wage. Riding a bus as far as the bus line would go, getting off and walking the last mile and a half to the place. Eventually, he gets into one of the trade unions, works through their apprenticeship program. Four years later, he ends up being a journeyman. He's now out in California working to repair the power lines at that forest fire, uh, making a hundred and some dollars an hour. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, but who is the type of people that are most willing to help us turns out to be the trade unions. It's not the the office people. It's not the insurance company. It's not the people you see uh, on television that are the great local citizens and leaders and so on. They're not doing anything to help. You walk into any any of these uh, places and fill out an application, and what do they ask you? You, you got any felony convictions? Yep. Okay. See you later. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, the way it is. Yeah. You know, I've been working with people. I I see the benefit of people and how they can become successful once they get out, if they have the right follow-up. We can't just bring them down to the fort and dump them. You know? now, now, Ken... We need, uh, we need jobs. We need different decent housing. We need support groups. And, you know, a lot of this we've got on a large scale, but we need to bring it down to the personal level. Okay. And we've got a couple of... Uh, uh, sober living houses in the morning. Just five guys in each house. You know, they're dedicated to taking care of each other and helping each other with their job and with their transportation and with their, uh, going to church and going to the uh, meetings and so on. Yeah. That's the kind of thing it takes. Is the small neighborhood. It's just like, we're, how, do, how are we going to solve crime in the inner city? The people in the inner city got to do it. And it's got to start out with one family, two families, uh, people in a square block, and so on. Okay, Ken, I, I want to go back real quick to what you said about uh, the transitional housings and uh, what y- you have established. Uh, that, that's one thing that people need to know about. Uh, we have some help out here in the community. When you hear about transitional housing, you hear about uh, housing, people coming out of prison, because one of the major issues is people having a place to parole. Uh, a lot of times people just don't have anywhere to go. They burned a lot of bridges. They have to go to work release or uh, there's problems with being on a lease uh, at a house at their girlfriends or wherever. Uh, And so they're stuck with no place to go when they get out. Now you have established uh, through your nonprofit organization, uh, two transitional housing. Is that correct? That's correct. And it's called the discovery house, right? Yes. Okay. You know, it just breaks my heart when I, I get calls from parole officers saying, hey, I've got a guy that we could release from prison, but he has no place to parole to. Sure. So what happens? The citizens of Iowa keep paying to keep him in prison because he doesn't have any decent place to live if they let him out. Okay. No, no. The other problem is <laughs> we've got people running these transitional housing units that are just for profit. Okay. They're just dumps. I approved that you can have a nice house, nice furniture, nice TVs, nice internet, good location, uh, you know, all this stuff, and still make the house affordable for these people. 
So, sure. you know, it's got to be a nonprofit thing, but we need more and more and more of those. I, I wouldn't even want to guess what the demand is. But, you know, I've got two houses. We can hold a total of 11 people. And what are, can, what are, now, Ken, what are the qualifications uh, for your uh, halfway or for your transitional housing there that, that you have at the Discovery House in Des Moines? You, number one, you have to have a job, and you have to have sub, sobriety, and that's about the end of the qualifications. Okay, and we ask people, not, we not, ask people that uh, we want them to be part of a, the community at the house, and. Uh, have the same type of beliefs that the other people in the house have. We ask them to attend a house meeting every Sunday evening where we eat together and talk about anything that's coming up with the house. And we have Bible study one night a week. Okay. Um, that's great. You know, and now, now, Ken, let me ask you, do you guys, do you have a number for the people out there that are interested? They may have family members that are in prison and they're coming out or when they get ready to be released, they want them to be a part of this positive uh, transitional housing. How do they reach you? Well, the, the best way to reach me would be through the email. And what is that? Try S-K-I-A. S is in Sam. K is in Kite. A is in Apple. No, I, no. S like Sam, K as in Kite, I as in Indigo, A as in Alpha. Okay. At AOL.com. At AOL.com. Okay, great. And like I say, we've got a waiting list already. Uh, the demand is just so great. You know, it's, it's basically we've had it going for a year or so and found out that we can have very reasonable rent for these guys and uh, still provide a great facility. That is wonderful. Ken, listen, uh, I've got to go to a commercial break. I've got, uh, it looks like we're just about probably two seconds away. Uh, I really appreciate the time that you spent here on the air on the Image Show. Uh, You're a part of the Image Program for Life. And uh, tell your wife that I said hello. Send some of that sunshine through the airwaves out here so that we can enjoy it. And, uh, man, what you said was so valuable. I'll speak with you not only when you get back in into Des Moines, but uh, we'll set up another time where you can come back in on the show and uh, just talk a little bit more. Well, thank you. Keep up the good work. You're an awesome role model. Take care. Thanks, Ken. We'll talk to you later. Coming up next, we're going to speak with Pastor Bell. And Pastor Bell is the pastor of Present Truth Ministries. He is also the Fatherhood Outreach Director at the John R. Grubb YMCA in Des Moines, Iowa. We're also going to speak with Ralph Hall. And Ralph is a community activist. Uh, He has also founded a new program, and he's in the process of incorporating it. It is called Positive Achievements. We'll be back after these messages. And we're back on The Image Show. In the house with us right now, we have Pastor Bell. We also have Ralph Hall. And both of these uh, gentlemen are from Des Moines, Iowa. Pastor Bell, first of all, let's start with you. It's a pleasure to have you on The Image Show. Thank you. I'm very excited about being here with you today. And Ralph Hall, it's a pleasure to have you on The Image Show this morning. Thank you as well. So we're going to start off with you, Pastor Bell. You are not only a pastor at the Present Truth Ministries, but you're also a strong activist in the community, and you run the Fatherhood Program. You're the Outreach Director at the John R. Grubb YMCA in Des Moines, and you have been a mentor to me for probably since my 
coming out of prison uh, about 11 months ago. And so, again, I tell you, thank you for that. And I want to talk a little bit about, well, we've been on the topic of voting rights, the prison, and some of the, the catastrophic movement that the recidivism rate is moving in. And so I know that you have had a lot of dealings. You have a lot of knowledge in this area as well. What do you think are some of the solutions to some of these problems? Well, I really believe that if people will firstly look at themselves and realize that there are probably some moments in all of our lives where something that we've done that's embarrassing or maybe not the best move we've ever made, we would not like to be handled or treated as if that's the way we're going to be for the rest of our lives. And so if you look at people for what they can produce, not always what they do happen to do in times of their lives when they weren't as wise as they could have been, and the consequences that some people have paid for those, maybe we'll look at not being so punitive, but being restorative to get people back to the place where we can get the best out of them. That's important. And Pastor Bell, I know that you've had a lot of one-on-one mentoring conversations with gentlemen coming out of prison, uh, relationship problems when uh, guys coming out of prison have uh, issues in in their relationships. And so what do you think are some of, let's just start with Des Moines, per se, since this is where we're at. What do you think is some of our biggest problems with behavior or uh, just problems alone with the recidivism rate, what causes people to go back to prison or to go to, to prison in the first place or just to make these kind of decisions that, uh, you know, deter their freedom? We have found that, of course, poverty, uh, the lack of fatherlessness has been a big part of why some decisions are made by young people at an early age. So then that speaks to direction. And correction, when I'm not doing what I should do, who lets me know what I should be doing? Where are the the significant voices in my life that will say to me, hey, that's not what really you want. You don't want the consequences of what you're doing. So let's redirect. Let's stay connected to people in a way where we can speak to them. And if we don't, then we're turning our head and waiting for something to happen that eventually will land them in prison, starting with juvenile. Uh, delinquency and things of that nature. And the one thing that I really know that has really helped, incidentally, I worked behind prison walls for two years teaching substance abuse and life skills. I seldom ran into a man who could look me in my face and tell me that he had a man who had told him this is what it means to be a man and had that modeled in front of him. So without direction, I may go anywhere. So I can't blame uh a kid who gets no direction and is a toad is allowed to, to act in any way without any kind of hindering in his life to make him think or suck and think what he's doing. So that's one of the biggest problems. And then to turn around and drop the hammer when I make a mistake when you haven't taught me how to do the right thing or given me guidance. I think that that's very vital because now you just brought up a strong point. You said uh, these individuals going to prison or these choices that they make at an early age. Now, uh, Ralph Hall, that brings me uh, over to you. I know that you actually experienced prison at the age of 15. Yes. Uh, yes. You were charged as an adult. Were you? Yes. yes. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience in going in between those walls? Uh, First of all, what prison did you actually enter? At 15, I went to 
Anamosa. Okay. Um, that's a maximum security, one of the maximum security prisons in uh, the state of Iowa. Okay. And, you know, I couldn't imagine at the age of 15 actually going into a prison, being around grown men uh, with life sentences and, you know, being in a maximum uh, prison like that. Uh, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and the experience? Well, uh, it was a it was a very pretty traumatic experience, especially being the age I was. It just it, it was it was different. I really felt like I didn't need to be there. I really I felt once I got there, I felt like I really didn't belong there as an individual coming from where I came from. It, it, it was it was a lot of people and just a lot going on for the mind state of being 15 years old. So I could imagine that uh, it was probably a little scary at times. It was scary at times. Uh, there's not a lot of security in there. It's just basically anyone in there is in there. You're an adult. You're in the eyes of the law. You're an adult and you're in this place. So there's not much you can do about it. You know, there's, there's not anyone you can really call on or anyone that can really save you per se, if I had to say that. So, yeah, it was a pretty traumatic experience. And you talk about now we talk about recidivism now uh, in the eyes of the court. Recidivism is when you have actually gone to prison and you get out and you do not return back to the institution. Yes. Uh, you have been one of those that have overcome the odds of, you know, not going back into the institution. And so, uh, you know, we commend you for uh, keeping the recidivism rate down. Yes, thank you. Now, uh, but so you started this nonprofit organization, uh, which you're looking to incorporate now, and yes. it's called Positive Achievements. Yes. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, when I was released, I was still fairly young, and I felt like I, I needed to take my life in a different direction. So I started working with Urban Dreams in the early 2000s. I was a youth monitor. Uh, I've always been into the youth and the community and wanted to see an upliftment in the community and the youth. Um, I would like to see better choices and more outreach for the youth because uh, as a when I was a kid, kind of after sports, I kind of took a wrong turn at an early age. And I feel like uh, there could have been a better rehabilitation program for me instead of just saying, OK, you're you're an adult court now. Now we're going to hand you over to the DOC for this reason or that reason at the age of 15. So what I did as a youth monitor was reached out to children and I really wanted to get in depth about their story or how they were living or how they perceived their community and how they felt about it. So it kind of started from there mostly. And from my childhood going in with that, I just came up with a positive, excuse me, I came up with positive achievements, family and community outreach program. So we reach out to kids uh, in local gyms, kids in high schools. Uh, elementaries and whatnots like that. Um, try to work with families who may not be at the best point in their life right now as a whole or as individuals and just kind of have some positive incentive for them so they can grow and prosper and maybe not have to go through the things that I went through as a child 
That's great. That's good. And Ralph, I know one thing that you had told me before is that you don't have to go to prison in order to change your life. Yes. And you know, that really kind of stuck with me. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, you've been inspiring uh, in my life about is is growing up as kids. Uh, you know, we all kind of took our, our separate ways and paths in life. And I noticed that, uh, you know, even when we would go to the gym sometimes and play basketball, you know, we'd meet up there. And, and I seen that, uh, you know, you, you were always one that, stayed with your kids. You, I mean, you believed in paying child support. You believed yes. in, in taking the responsibility to handle the things that are important uh, that, that come from uh, parenting. Yes. You know, uh, mom and dad taught you. Yes. And so uh, being from that neck of the woods, you know, uh, things like that are encouraging uh, for our community. And I think that that's one of the things that you have to offer uh, for this younger generation growing up. Yes. Thank you, Bob. Uh, Pastor Bell, now, uh, w- what is your take on all this? Mr. Hall really represents the kind of gentleman that we like to bring into the classes that we conduct and say to people, you, you don't really have to mess it up so bad that it can't be fixed. So is what direction are you headed in and where does that lead eventually? So when I bring a gentleman like him in, I just let him be who he is and say, hey, this is how I came out of what I was in. Because if you don't pay attention to where you're headed, you don't know where you're going to land. Yeah. And so when I see people who've been that intentional about changing their lives, it allows me to go down and talk to people like the chief of police. And I do second chance mediations in public schools because I know that kids can get headed down the road. And if we keep sending them to the office, eventually they're in juvenile court. And before you know it, they're standing somewhere with a different color suit on. And they're in a place like Mr. Hall ended up in because of the lack of intervention. And you don't have to have some catastrophic event to take place in your life, but you do need somebody to say, hey, stop and think about where you're headed. Where does this lead? What are your goals? That's one thing I found out. When you give people goals, have them set goals and say, let's be specific. How how do we measure them? Can you really do this? And put a time on it and say, get here. Then we're at the spot where we can launch and go to another place. So it's really important to have people who care about you. And Mr. Hall evidently cares. And somebody's going to eventually ask him, hey, how did you turn this around? He knows. He he is the process of transformation in flesh. Amen. And, uh, uh, yeah, so, uh, Ralph Hall, we really uh, appreciate you coming on the show, man. And uh, we're going to continue to lift uh, your Positive Achievements program up. And uh, we're going to support it uh, through the Image program. Uh, Pastor Bell, of course, uh, it's always a pleasure having you on the Image show or having anything that's affiliated with the Image program. I want to invite both of you guys to uh, the new uh, Image group meeting called Rap Session. Uh, That will be every second. Saturday of the month at the Evelyn K. Davis Center. And uh, are you guys going to be able to make that? Yes. I'm headed there. Good, good. That's what we like to hear. And so, uh, well, uh, I appreciate you guys. We've got to uh, go to another commercial break. But uh, for all of you out there, uh, you're tuned into the Image Show on 98.3 The Vibe. We've got Ralph Hall and we've got Pastor Bell. Coming up next, we're going to speak with the president and founder of Urban City Magazine, Howell Dixon. We'll be back after these messages. 
And we're back on The Image Show, 98.3 The Vibe. You're tuned in. Uh, We've got some great topics on the card today. We've been kind of all over the place, all through the DOC, uh, voting rights. We spoke with the outside sponsor of uh, The Image Program when it first originated in the Department of Corrections at North Central Correctional Facility in Ken Silver. And Ken was able to break down a lot of detailed information about uh, not only why voting rights are important, but also some of the things that are going on. Uh, in our judicial system. And uh, with us uh, now, we have Howell Dixon. He and Ralph Hall are in the studio. And Mr. Dixon is the founder of the Urban City Magazine in Des Moines, Iowa. Mr. Dixon, it is a pleasure to have you on The Image Show. Appreciate it. Thank you. Now, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the Urban City Magazine and, and what it is that you do and uh, kind of, you know, how you got this thing started and the direction that it's going? Yeah, so uh, I found the Urban City Magazine, uh, you know, with the intent to bring awareness of black excellence within the state of Iowa for community, highlighting events, highlighting people, you know, the businesses that we have here, along with the entertainment, you know, is what Urban City represents. We are the source to tap into the information on things far as what's going on, highlighting the essence, the essence of the culture. You can find us on social media, Instagram, Twitter. Our website is urbancitymag.com. I found Urban City Magazine. It was something that about traveling to big cities and uh, seeing that there was a lot going on. And I feel like we possess the same kind of culture and vibes here in Iowa. So my thing was, you know, to bring something back to Iowa that we can present to the city, like I said, with that source to tap into to know, you know, what concerts is going on. We do a lot of free ticket giveaways, very connected and involved in the community. We put on our own events. We just had a a Valentine's Sip and Paint and a whole other uh, handful of events that we're going to be doing this year. I think the main focus this year is to really start bringing businesses together. We have a lot of soul food restaurants out here that people don't know about. And I think people need to start looking into what Iowa offers. Fashion designers, arts and crafts. There's so much out here that, you know, people are unaware of. And uh, that's our that's our job and our position is to bring awareness and bridge those gaps between the community, you know, and the people and the businesses and, you know, just the culture in general. Well, that's great. And I think that you're doing a good job of it. You seem very passionate about what you're doing and the movement that you're making. And it seems to be impacting uh, our city. Throughout our brief conversation, you spoke about some of the different events that you've already had. You showed me some pictures and some links, and that looked fabulous. Yes, sir. We do a lot of media coverage, you know. So, you know, if you got an event out there that you want Urban City Magazine to cover, definitely – Give us an email, shoot us an email, and uh, we can set that up. We also do uh, a lot of advertisement, too. So we have a monthly newsletter coming out, and we like to highlight the community. We highlight entertainment. We spotlight people in there and definitely businesses. So, you know, it's a it's a source for you to, you know, tap into an audience that's, like, really paying attention to what's going on. I think we pride ourselves in having that platform to be able to show these different things and, you know, have this available to the to the city, to the state. That's great. And uh, Mr. Dixon, what is, uh, for those who may have just joined in, uh, you are the founder of the Urban City Magazine. And uh, if people are looking to link up or collaborate with you, what is your contact, website information? Can you let them know? Yeah, so you can uh, follow us on Facebook. 
Make sure you follow us on Instagram. Both of those platforms are kind of different. Facebook is, you know, more of your source for like community and stuff that's going on. Our Instagram is has a lot to do with some of the media coverage, uh, things that we that we cover and a lot of the entertainment, a lot of the concerts that's coming up. If you want to know what's going on in the city, if you're not from here, tap into Urban City Magazine. Great. And now, Ralph, uh, you're over there. I understand that uh, both you and Howell are uh, family members, your cousins. Yes. And I know that you used to rap and uh, you did a pretty good job of it. I used to like listening to the beats and things like that. Uh, What is with your rapping career? Is that pretty much uh, have you moved on kind of past that looking to just kind of help the young guys or, or what's going on with that now? Well, right now I do a rapping for me has always been a hobby of mine. I I never really did it to uh, have a career out of it. Um, it's always to pass some time and a, a hobby of mine. But I do do some promotions and marketing for artists and always looking for talent and things like that. Um, young or old, it really doesn't matter. If you, if you have talent and you're trying to get out there, um, I think it's a platform that you should go ahead and, and go after. Uh, but, like, for me, it was always a hobby um, but I feel like I probably could have made something out of it if I if I continued to do it if I if I looked at it more as a business and in a serious light. Um, I feel like it's very possible I could have done something to further my career with doing that. Sure, and I know that you've had a lot of uh, red carpet events, blue carpet events, different things like that for like the out of towners of Des Moines that come in on Drake relays and and things like that, kind of providing things for for people to do because I, I know it gets kind of boring, you know, in Des Moines. And so, uh, do you have any events coming up? Well, we do have the blue carpet event coming up. Uh, it's an annual event for. The Relays Weekend Celebration on April 27th this year. That'll be a Saturday, uh, April 27th of 2019. So the blue carpet is is based on uh, a time where you come and and just get yourself dappered up, come out and enjoy your evening in a nice positive business atmosphere. It's a nice networking and resource event for you to come to and uh, talk to other like-minded people and uh, business professionals about what you do and, and your profession and swap business cards and, and ideas. And, and at the same time, you can run across people who you probably haven't seen in a long time. And, you know, it's it's like a it's a party. It's a celebration, but it's a big networking event. And where will this take place? The blue carpet event will take place at the Ramada Tropics Ballroom. The Ramada on Rohe Road, they have a ballroom and we do it there annually. Okay. And, um, well, that sounds great. Uh, I appreciate you guys. It looks like we are about out of time for the show this week. Um, we thank all of our listeners for tuning in to the Image Show this morning. Uh, we hope that you've had a great week. We know that there's been a lot of snow. We got dumped uh, with record-breaking snow uh, here in Des Moines. And, hey, uh, let's just try to look past that and uh, kind of put the sunshine in our minds as we move into March. So we appreciate you guys coming in, and uh, we uh, definitely invite you back. Yes. Yes, sir. Thank you. So it's Robert Pate, uh, Howell Dixon, uh, founder of Urban City Magazine. Uh, We had Ken Silver on the show, the uh, outside sponsor of the Image Program. And we also had Pastor Bell, and we have Ralph Hall here in the studios with us saying so long. Have a great week.